0: Yeah, just grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you guys for being here. We uh, we never take it for granted uh, for those of you who return week after week. And so and for those of you who come for the first time, we know how difficult sometimes it is to step into a church for the first time. So uh, thank you for your courage. Thank you for being here. And uh, for those of you missed the first introduction, my name is Sean. Uh, we are in uh, part three of a series we're calling Brand New. It's a journey through the life of Jesus. We've been looking at Jesus' life as it's recorded for us through the Gospels, the Four accounts uh, written for us by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. From the moment Jesus steps onto the pages of history as an adult... Uh, to the time where eventually he'll be crucified for the sins of the world and ultimately raised again uh, from, to, from death to life. And so let me begin by giving you the big idea from this, uh, uh, this morning's message. Here's, here's the thought. Um, this is a mes- uh, a, a, an idea or a thought that is central to the gospel message. But I think sometimes we still struggle with it. But here it is. You guys ready for it? All right, here it is. Being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it's a prerequisite, right? Being a sinner does not disqualify you from uh, being uh, following Jesus, but it's actually necessary for you to understand that to begin that journey of following. So, for some of you who, who maybe have thought, "Man," um, you know, I can't be a Christian because I got a past, right? Like, Pastor, if you knew the stuff that I've done, if you knew, uh, you know, some of the things I've said and uh, the, the person I've been, um, I would never, you know, you'd never invite me to follow Jesus. And I would just remind you that, that central to the gospel message is this idea that being a sinner, you know, in other words, having a past, um, is a, it does not disqualify. In fact, it's a prerequisite. And we'll discover this as we look at the life of um, some of Jesus' earliest followers. In fact, we to look at Uh, one man in particular, but four guys that are are first called uh, to follow Jesus. And um, each one of them had a past. Each one of them uh, had some issues. Each one of them had some emotional baggage and some sin baggage and all kinds of relational baggage that they brought into uh, uh, this journey of following Jesus. So um, being a sinner does not disqualify you. And here's something else that sometimes it's hard for us to believe. And so just hear me out before you start throwing stones at me. unbelief, listen, unbelief does not disqualify you from beginning to follow Jesus. All right? So, you know, uh, what we, as we get to discover, as we look at the life of some of the, Jesus' earliest followers, there were moments where they didn't know what to believe about Jesus. They, they kind of had a lot of questions, a lot of doubts. They had moments where they were fully like, yeah, Jesus is, you know, He is who He says He is. And then moments of questioning, they go like, man, maybe He's not. In fact, what we'll see is that After Jesus' death and crucifixion, every single one of his followers, every single one of them decided to unfollow Jesus. Every one of them hit the unfollow button, right? And so, uh, they had moments of severe unbelief. Moments like after the crucifixion, they were all scratching their heads going like, we don't know what to believe. Right? So, even unbelief... Uh, you know, does not disqualify you from beginning to follow Jesus. Um, in, in fact, this should be good news for some of us, that your doubts and your questions don't have to stop you from beginning to follow Jesus. So, uh, like I said, today we're going to look at, um, at the Jesus calling some of his earliest followers uh, to follow him. So before we get there, let us uh, let me just uh, re- re- recap for a little bit, for, for those of you who maybe are joining us for the first time. Uh, week one... Uh, as Jesus is about to step onto the stage of human history, he kind of has a warm-up act. And the and the warm-up act is called John the Baptist. John the Baptizer uh, was this wild guy who's basically he's a nobody in the middle of nowhere uh, in the Judean wilderness. And he's preaching this message that is super controversial, super disruptive. Um, and, uh, and And he's pretty much shaking up the religious system of the day. Um, He's been incredibly disruptive um, to to the status quo of of what Judaism had become in his day. And the reason why he's been so disruptive is because even though he was a nobody preaching in the middle of nowhere, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people were flocking to hear his message. Uh, And that was incredibly disruptive. And and so uh, uh, John actually had a lot to say about the corrupted system um, that Judaism had become in his day. In fact, when the religious leaders come down from Jerusalem to see him, John sees them coming, he points to them, and he says, You brood of vipers. He basically calls them a bunch of snakes. Um, And obviously that did not go well. That was very disruptive. Um, And basically John was saying is that the end of compassionateless, loveless, ritualistic religion has come to an end. Something new is about to happen. God was doing something brand new. And then Jesus shows up at the Jordan River and John points to him and he says, look, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and so basically John is saying, man, if you think uh, the crowds that are following me now are something, uh, one is coming who I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And then Jesus shows up and he says, there he is. Look, don't believe, right? Don't imagine, but look, right? Use your eyes. See the evidence before you. Listen to what he has to say. Um, and, and so Jesus shows up. Jesus is then baptized kind of in a way of identifying with this new thing that God is doing. And then uh, Pastor Kuiper shared this message last week that Jesus disappears, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness for 40 days. So before he's even preached a single message, he goes off into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. And, and there in the wilderness he's tempted And the temptation that Jesus is tempted with is the same temptation you and I are tempted with in our lives. Every single human being kind of has this question that they're facing, which is what kingdom is your life going to be about? Are you going to be about the kingdom of the world, your own kingdom, and and spend your life and pour your life out building your own kingdom according to the values of this world? Or are you going to be about a different kingdom, the kingdom of God? And and so when Jesus emerges out of the desert, his decision is clear. Jesus is going to represent God's kingdom. And he's going to take all the power that he has and leverage it for the powerless. He's going to take all the influence that he has and and leverage it for the voiceless. And he's going to take all the wealth that he has to to encourage and to lift up those that are marginalized and are poor. And so Jesus then begins to to preach this message of the gospel. And we're told in Luke's gospel in chapter 4. Verse 14, that Jesus then returns to the Galilee um, in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching. Say teaching teaching in the synagogues and everyone praised him. Right? So so Jesus is now sharing this message. He's teaching uh, about the kingdom of God and the nature of God and this new thing that God is doing. This this new movement um, that, that is about to be unleashed upon the, upon the world. And basically John has said, if you think I'm a big deal man, Jesus is so much bigger. And so the crowds that were following John are now following Jesus. And so wherever Jesus goes, there's a crowd that's following. And so Jesus is moving from synagogue to synagogue teaching um, and crowds are showing up. So one day um, while teaching at the synagogue uh, in the congregation in the audience is a guy named Simon Peter. Say Simon Peter. At this point, Simon Peter is a nobody. I mean, he's like, he's not famous. No one really knows him. He's a regular blue-collar guy. He's a fisherman. He's just hanging out, doing what a good Jewish boy would do on a Sabbath. He goes to synagogue, and Jesus is in the, in the, in the, um, the guy who's maybe the guest speaker that day. And whatever he teaches, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome because uh, Peter goes to him afterwards and says, Hey, uh, Jesus, do you want to come to my house? Um, And and Peter's got a bit of an agenda because Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. She's sick. And and you know how the story goes. You know, if your mother-in-law is not well, your life is not well. That's just not that, you know, you married guys understand. Uh, And and so, so, so Peter's got a bit of an agenda. He's like, man, uh, Jesus, come to my house because my mother-in-law, she's sick. Maybe, just maybe, you can help her. And so, Jesus goes to Peter's house and he heals his mother-in-law. And so, uh, it's a Sabbath, right? And and in that day, um, I- I according to the Jewish leaders of the day, that's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. And so, Jesus kind of keep it on the down low, uh, but word gets out. And so, um, In the evening, we're told, uh, uh, Luke tells us, at sunset, so now the Sabbath has ended. Word has got out that uh, that Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law. And now we're told that the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of diseases and laying his hands on each of them. Say laying his hands. Laying his hands on each of them, he healed them. And that's significant because, you know, uh, in our 21st century Christian culture, if you've been a part of church, uh, you know that Christians do this weird thing, like they'll pray for you and like, do you mind if I put my hands on? This is kind of where we get it from. Uh, but in that day, in that culture, you didn't touch sick people. That was like, you know, uh, you just didn't do that. Because th- there, was a, there was a mindset that had kind of um, emerged into ancient Judaism um, that believed that sickness was associated with sin. So if you were sick it was considered as some kind of judgment of God upon you. If you were born blind or born lame, it was because you sinned or your mother sinned or your dad sinned or someone sinned. And and as a result of that sin, you are now sick or lame or whatever it was. And so there was this close association with, with sickness and sin. And then Jesus comes along, right? And so because of that, so because of that kind of that mindset, people that didn't want to associate themselves with sickness, right? So they would, get, they would distance themselves because they believed that sickness would contaminate you and would make you ceremonial unclean. And, and so Jesus then comes along and he begins touching, physically touching sick people. And people go like, what on earth? No one does that. Because six people are going to contaminate you. They're going to make you unclean. But Jesus was setting a brand new paradigm. That which was clean was now cleansing that which was defiled. And he was changing the narrative and the story of how people interacted and understood sin. And how they understood God and God's interaction with them. Now, have you ever wondered why so much of Jesus' early ministry had to do with healing? Physical healing? Well, I think one of the reasons was because he's kind and he's compassionate. Right? He sees our suffering and he wants to alleviate the things that are going on. And so if you're here today and you're struggling with sickness, know that Jesus sees you. Right, he, He's kind. Um, and I believe that Jesus heals today. Right, But there's a, I think there was a bigger thing going on here. Because you had this mindset in, in Jesus' world that sickness and sin were associated. We understand you know, from the gospel that Jesus' primary mission was not to come to heal the sick physically. But to heal the sick spiritually. To come to deal with it with, with the, the malady that affects every human soul. The sickness of the soul. Which the Bible or the language of scripture would define as sin. There's something broken within this, in the soul of human beings. That always kind of glitches and causes us to do things that we should not do. Dishonor people. Dishonor God. That was Jesus' primary purpose for coming. To deal with our, our soul sickness. But now, how would you know if, if that soul sickness was cured? The sins that, 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 that so quickly like, derailed you in your life were forgiven. How would you know that outwardly? You don't, right? There's no like, manifestation of that, right? And so, if you were in the mindset that, that, that sickness and sin were connected. Now, if someone comes along and he begins to lay hands, touch people who are physically sick. And then miraculously, their sickness, their physical manifestation of that sickness is removed. It's not a far leap to think, well, maybe, maybe he has the power then to deal with the the biggest sickness of sin. And so so Jesus, the reason why I believe primarily so much of his ministry had to do with physical healing was because uh, by healing people's physical sickness, he was demonstrating his ability to heal their greatest spiritual sickness, sin. So it's in this context of healing people that Jesus calls his first disciples. Now, now we have two, uh, four accounts of the gospels. Two of them record uh, the the calling of those first four guys to himself. There's in the Gospel of Matthew. We have an account in the Gospel of Luke. Um, I'm going to read you both accounts. Um, Matthew's account um, is absolutely true, correct. Both accounts are true and correct, but they just give different perspectives. Now, let me just read you Matthew's, and and, and tell me what you think about this. Well, not physically, but you can think about it. All right, so here's what he says. uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I'll just read the whole passage. It says, And Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Like, I, I love Matthew. He's like, if you didn't get it, they're casting the nets in the lake. Why? Because they're fishermen. So just to clarify, just if you didn't miss that, they're fishermen. And then Jesus says to them, come follow me. Casting the lakes into the sea, Jesus sees them, come follow me. And we're told that, that, that he says, I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, some of your translations might read, and immediately, and at once they lift their nets and they followed him. Verse 21 goes on, going from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing the nets. Jesus called them, and immediately, say immediately, immediately they left their boats and their father, and they followed him. Now, I don't know if any of you guys maybe think like me. Maybe this is just the way I think, but I'm going like, what on earth? Like, who does that? Right? I mean, think about it. It's like James and John. They're with their dad, Zebedee. They're in the boat, and they're like a family business. And then Jesus is like, "Seize them, follow me. And they're like, okay, dad, sorry, we're out. Done. Say goodbye to mom. We're out. We're leaving. We're gone. Like, when you read that, you kind of, I think, that like, that sounds a little, like, unreasonable, doesn't it? Like, he's going to drop everything and just follow Jesus. I mean, they barely know the guy. I mean, and who would like just ditch their family, their dad, and just go like, sorry dad, we're out. All the hopes and dreams you had for us, too bad, sorry, we're gone. Now, Luke gives us another account, and Luke's account kind of helps us a little bit, because both of these stories are true, they're accurate. The problem is Matthew doesn't give us much context. Uh, Luke however, because Luke is a Kind of part Gentile, he's kind of like us. Maybe he thinks a little bit more like us. Knows we'll probably have some questions about this calling, and so he gives us the backstory. He fills in the backstory. Do you guys want to hear the backstory? Okay. Let's read Luke's account. This is what Luke says. Um, One day, as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, same Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, same same body of water, just two different names. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Say, listen to the word of God. Now, now this is important, right? Um, They're leaning in. The crowds that were following John are now following Jesus. And Jesus is is teaching some pretty powerful stuff about the kingdom of God, things they hadn't really heard before. This was like a new vision of God's kingdom and what God was doing on the earth. And so, they're leaning in. They're listening. They're crowding around him. Um, And and they're not only listening, but, but they're crowding. They're pushing, right? Now, let me just stop there for a minute because this is important. Um, Notice that they're listening. And what is Jesus doing? He's teaching. He's kind of doing what I'm doing right now. He's teaching. He's explaining. He's imparting information about the nature of God, about the nature of God's kingdom, and about the nature of life that God has called us to do. And they're listening. I, and so I think there's something that, that we see in this that's really important for us to understand. That faith does not begin with faith. Can I say that again? Faith does not begin with Faith. Like to have faith in God, it's not like you stir up this like, oh, I just got to stir up some faith. I don't even know what faith really is, but I just got that thing. Whatever it is, I got to have some of that, right? What does faith begin with? Faith begins with information, right? It begins, so this is why Jesus is teaching. You know, some of the earliest titles that, we, that are recorded for Jesus or ascribed to Jesus in the gospel are Rabbi or rabbinai or Teacher, Because that was what Jesus was doing in the beginning parts of his ministry. He was teaching. He was imparting information about the nature of God's kingdom. About the nature of this life and the calling that God has on our lives. Which means that um, Christian faith is an evidence-informed faith. It's an evidence-based informed faith. It begins with information. One of the things I've always appreciated about the scriptures and and the way God has interacted with us through scripture, he actually invites us to be reasonable. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, come, let us reason together. In other words, don't check your brain when it comes to your faith in in Jesus Christ. There is a reason to believe what we believe. There's evidence to believe what we believe. And and so Christianity is an evidence-based faith. It's an informed faith. So, we, we become Christians by faith, but not because of faith. Does that make sense to you? So, faith is absolutely important in the Christian journey. But faith is not where, 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 where Christianity begins. It begins with information. This is why Jesus taught. This is why he imparted information. And that information would then become revelation. And that revelation would then lead to transformation. All right? And so... And so this is why, why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he didn't say, you know, believe this, the, the Lamb of God. He said, look, use your eyes. See what's in front of you. It's evidence. And then listen. And, and then in what you, based on what you see and what you hear, then make an informed decision on whether or not you're going to follow Jesus. Right? And, and so, this is really important. This is why Jesus was called teacher. This is what Jesus was doing here on the lake. He's teaching all right. So he's teaching at the lake and the crowd are leaning in. They're listening. They have a part in this. they engage. They're listening. But they're also crowding. And I imagine it doesn't say it in the text, but as the crowd is pushing in, Jesus is getting pushed with his back up against the lake. And eventually, he's right, right at the edge of the lake. And he's going like, uh, this is not going to work. You know, I'm not ready to do the whole walking on water thing. Um, so I better come up with another plan. And so in, in verse 2, he says, we're told, He saw that the, at the water's edge were two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Alright, so the guys have been fishing all night. We get to see this in a minute um, w- from the text. Um, they're done fishing, right? They're done for the night. They're wrapping up. Their nets are drying. They've had to clean them out. It's a lot of work. They, they got them out wrapped. They're about to set them away so they can do it again. Uh, later on in the evening, they're going to go out again. And then we're told in verse 3, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now again, it's not clear from the text whether Jesus asked permission to do this. But I'm assuming he did because they've had dialogue because we're going to see a little later that Simon is now in the boat. So at some point he's probably looking going like, two boats? I need one of these boats so hey fishermen are there. And he's kind of like, hey whose boat does this belong to? And Simon's like, yep that's mine. And then I imagine because Jesus is a gentleman he asks permission. He's like, can I get in your boat? It seems like a reasonable request. And so uh, he, he gets into boat. Simon shows up and goes, okay, fine, get in the boat. I'll hold it for you as you climb in. And then he makes a request. He says, hey, Simon, can we just go out a few like few feet, just a few feet? Because there's a whole f- this acoustic thing that happens, you know, for the little bit of water. I'll be preaching. The crowds are gathering in. The, w- the sound will bounce off the water. It'll work out really good. Can, can we just go out a few feet? And Peter's like, yeah, okay, fine. Let's go out a few feet right? And now, now it, it, it's, it's a simple request. No skin of Peter's nose, you know, it's like, okay, fine, get in the boat, use the boat. But now, Peter's got a front row seat, right? He's in the boat with Jesus, right? Jesus is in his boat, together in the boat. And now, P- Jesus starts preaching. And Peter's right there. He's got a front row seat. He's like, this is cool. Like, I've got the front row seat. This is like, you know, you know this special anointing in the front row. You guys are like, you got the, the joint right there. Special anointing in the front row. Peter's got the front row seat. And so, um, we're told, in, 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 as Luke continues, that he, then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Again, what is Jesus doing? Teaching. He taught the people from the boat. He's imparting information. And I imagine Peter's leaning in, Peter's listening. Because it's Jesus, right? Jesus is a great preacher. He tells great stories. And he's imparting information about the nature of God and the kingdom of God and the way God has called us to live and the kind of people God has called us to be. And when Jesus finishes the sermon, he actually then does something that is quite unexpected. He turns to Peter and makes a very unexpected, somewhat irrational, but very doable request. I mean, this is something that Peter can do. He's completely capable of doing. It's something that Peter, in fact, was very good at doing. So he basically turns to Peter and says, hey, Peter, can we go fishing? And Peter's going like, this is a weird request for Peter. Um, and, And so this is what he says. First of all, he says, when he had finished speaking, he says to Simon, put out to deeper water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, again, a simple task for Peter. Peter is a fisherman, he's a professional, this is what he did day in, this was something he was really capable and good at doing, but it was inconvenient, right? It was inconvenient. You know, he had already already cleaned his nets, they had been out fishing all night, he's going to say that in a minute, right? And, And so it's inconvenient, and it's going to require some more work. Our nets are drying, they're already clean. Now you ask me to throw them down again. They're going to be full of beer bottles as I pull them up, full of seaweed and all kinds of junk. It's going to take me hours. It's going to cost me something. And so, he's, so Peter's response is this, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, come on, Jesus. Like, thank you for healing my mother-in-law. Yeah, I really appreciate that. You don't know how hard it is when you have a mother-in-law in your house and she's not doing well. You know, so thanks for that. And that sermon, that was amazing. You know, I I learned a lot of things, man. Thank you for the imparting me information. But really, this is like inconvenient, right? I'm going to have to work hard. Now it's like I'm going to drop down my nets, and then I'm going to have to clean them again. And besides, no one fishes in the day. It's not when you do it. Like, I've been doing this all my life. I know how to fish. This is what we do. You fish at night because the water's cold. The cold water rises at night, and that's where the fish feed. And then a day, the water heats up. The fish go deeper. And my nets can't reach them. So nobody fishes during the day. Like, you're a carpenter, Jesus. Let's face it. Yeah, you're a rabbi, but you're a carpenter. Like, what do you know about fishing? And besides, people are watching. There's a big crowd. And I've got a reputation, right? I'm supposed to be the fisherman, and now I'm going to go out and fish. I'm going to come back with no fish, and everyone's going to think I'm an idiot. And I know, like, Seriously. Peter responds, he says, master, All right? Master, I love that. That's actually, that, that little title is, uh, it only appears in Luke's gospel. Um, and it, and it's, a, it's a title of respect. So Peter's got some respect, right? Jesus has healed his mother-in-law. That's something, that's worthy of some respect. Peter has had a front row seat at Jesus' preaching, and obviously it's impacted him. He's heard some things, maybe he hasn't heard before. He's learned some new things. Jesus teaches with authority, with power so he's got some respect but he's like man but really but Jesus you're good at this teaching thing and the good at the healing thing but fishing that's my deal right we've been fishing all night we've been working hard all night and we haven't caught anything so let me just pause for a minute here because I think this is such a such a critical moment in Peter's journey but I think it's reflective of critical moments in our own journey maybe for you for some of you today this is going to be a critical moment in Peter's response. You know, maybe some of you here today, and you're kind of at the edge of faith, right? You've heard a little bit about Jesus. Maybe you, you, when you were younger, you used to go to church, and you were like, yeah, yeah, I did the Jesus thing, but didn't really kind of connect or resonate, and I've been running around, and now life is kind of coming at me, and I need some foundation, and so like maybe I should just give this Jesus thing a try. And so you're here today, and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't really know what I believe about Jesus, right? You're just right on that edge, And maybe today Jesus is saying, hey man, can I get in your boat? I mean, can we just like hang out a little bit? Can we just spend some time together in a boat? And your boat, of course, is a metaphor for your life. You might not have a boat. That's what I'm going to be talking about, (laughs) right? Or maybe, maybe, maybe you're someone like, you know, I know this has been season of my Christian journey like this, man. You've been doing the Christian thing. And you believe, you know, you believe in Jesus, you, your doctrine's all squared away, you believe all the right things, and, and, and your, your behavior's all squared away. You know, like, you, you're not, there's no crazy stuff in your life, you go to church, you're doing the Christian thing, you're doing all the things you're supposed to do, but it's just flat. Like, that's just boring, honestly. Come on, some of you raise your hands, it's boring. No, you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about. It's just like you're doing the thing and you're just going through the motions. And when you first, kinda, when you first met Jesus, when you first got in your boat, you were like, Jesus, you're awesome. And you were so excited and you wanted to share with everyone. But now 15 years later, you're like, that's boring. And maybe, just maybe Jesus is saying, hey, man, I've been in your boat for a long time. And I've been asking you to go out a little deeper. But you're just like, no, it's inconvenient. It's, it's, it's going to cost me something. And I, I don't know if I'm not ready. Maybe that's you. You know, maybe Jesus is saying, man, it's time to go out a little deeper. So, listen, man, this is a transitional moment for Peter. What what Peter's about to do, his response in this moment radically changed his life. But it not only changed his life, it radically changed the world. This is such a powerful moment. So, So, look at Peter's response, right? He's been fishing all night, he's tired. Jesus is in his boat. He's like, okay, fine, you're in the boat. You just want to go out. Now you want me to go out deeper. Master, I respect you. You've done some things. I have some evidence. I've heard. I've seen. And so Peter says this, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. It's inconvenient. It's going to cost me something, but because you say so, I'll let down my nets. I don't understand it because no one fishes during the day. This is weird. I'm probably going to lose some reputation here, but because you say so. It's going to cost me something, but because you say so. And this is a moment that's going to change everything for Peter. Now, here's something I'm pretty sure um, that Peter did not know in this moment, right? This moment that is recorded for us in Luke. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of his response to Jesus in this moment. I mean, Peter could have said no. Sorry, I'm done, bro. This is, we're over. You know, yeah, thanks for healing my mother-in-law. That was awesome. It's going to make my home life a lot easier. It's great. You know, thanks for the, you know, thanks for the great message. That was awesome. Pastor, good job. You know, appreciated it. But no, it's inconvenient. It's going to cost me something. I'm not going to do it. Instead, based on what he had known about Jesus at this point in his life, based on what he had heard and based on what he says, he says, because you said so. And he had no idea what hung in the balance. Um, you know, if Peter had said no in this moment, one thing I'm absolutely certain of, there's no way that we would be talking about him 2,000 years later, right? Two, I mean, think about how crazy this is. 2,000 years later, we're talking about an obscure Galilean fisherman he lived on like the little point in Judea, or somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and yet yeah, we are talking about him. You know what else Peter would had no no idea would ever happen. He had no idea that, that one day they would build a giant basilica in his name. That that this uh, there's a picture of it there. That this would happen. Like, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to go to Rome. Maybe you've seen pictures of it. But we actually, I've had a, a, the privilege of actually walking through St. Peter's in Rome. And I can tell you, it is magnificent. Like, pictures do not even come close to describing what an incredible building this is. And the story of this building is, is pretty amazing, right? It, 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 was, uh, it was built in the 16th century, the start of the 16th century. It took 120 years to build. It is, it is spectacular. You know, the, in, in, in I think it was 326, the emperor of Rome, Constantine, became a follower of Jesus. And because of all that had happened to Christians in the early first 300 years of the Roman Empire, and all the Christians that had been martyred, he decided uh, to build a, a, a church on the site where Peter's uh, grave was. That, that site, not only was it the site of Peter's grave, but pri- prior to that, it was actually Nero's circus. Now, I don't know if you know much about Roman history, but Nero uh, was an emperor in the, in the early part of, of, of the, well, later part of the first century um, that persecuted the, the Christians, those early Christians, terribly. I mean, he, w- he did the most unspeakable things. Just brutality, He he would dress Christians up in in animal skins and then throw them out into the arena and leash wild beasts, lions and tigers, and they would just get shredded and eaten alive. He he would put uh, tar in their hair, put them on stakes, and and then light them aflame as human candles. And many believe that it was here in Nero Circus that Peter was actually eventually executed. And then in 326. The Roman Emperor Constantine became a Christian, became a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of all that had happened on that site, he destroyed Nero circus. And he built a church um, over the gravesite, or what was believed to be the gravesite of Peter. And then in the 16th century, beginning of the 16th century, uh, they built this giant basilica, the most, one of the most magnificent buildings you will ever see in your life. In honor of a Galilean fisherman, who in this moment made a decision to say yes to Jesus, to take that next step, to just go out a little deeper, to put down his nets. And Peter had no idea that any of this hung in the balance. Not only did he know what would hang in the, hang in the balance, but he didn't know who. The reason any of us here are, are, are followers of Jesus today is because Peter was willing to say yes to that next step, to follow Jesus. And you know, this is true for you and I as well. You know, uh, every one of us who's a follower of Jesus, every single day, um, there is more. There's a next step to take. You know, wherever you are, and this never ends in the Christian life, there's always a next step. For some of you, it might just be like Jesus saying, hey man, can I just get in your boat? Can we just hang out together? For some of you, might be, hey, man, can we just push out a little further? Just a few feet off the shore. So what I'm asking, just a few, few feet. For others, he's going like, man, let's go out a little deeper. Let's drop out the nets. You know, and we have no idea what hangs in the balance, right? And we don't know who hangs in the balance of our next yes to that next step that Jesus would ask us to take. You know, and we might think like, Peter, man, this is inconvenient. Man, this is going to cost me something. But he had no idea what hung in the balance when he said yes. Now, you know, when I think of this, you know, in our story, it's like you and I, right, we might never have basilicas, you know, giant basilicas built in our name. And my hope is that you and I, like Peter, will never be you know, executed in Nero's circus either. But I guarantee you, at the end of Peter's life, because he said yes to that next step, and then yes to the next step, and to the yes to the next step, and every time he said yes to a step that Jesus has asked him to take, what he experienced is what I guarantee you will experience. That your yes will intersect with a character and the faithfulness of Jesus and you'll be like man I have no regrets I have no regrets at the end of Peter's life even though he he ultimately gave his life and laid down his life for his friend who would become his Lord and his Savior he had no regrets no regrets so let's go back to the story because you say so I will let down my nets and verse 6 says, when they had done so. And this is really important, right? Say, when they had done so. Amen. In other words, not when they had prayed about it for six months, right? <laughs> no, not when they had kind of questioned it or doubted or felt guilty about it. But when they had actually done so, right? And this is so important because the Christian faith, it's not, it's not like a, a, a faith that is like about positive thoughts, like just think positive, airy thoughts. It's about action. It's about steps, It's a journey. This is why the the invitation is to follow. You have to take steps to follow. And so when they had done so, and here's the guarantee of Scripture. When, when When your faithful actions intersect with the faithfulness and the goodness and the character of God, things change. Things change. Stuff happens. Again, back to the story. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. And so they singled their partners in the other boat to come over. This, is, uh, this would be James and John, come over to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And then Simon Peter saw this. He fell down on his knees and he said, We're rich. This is awesome. We have so many fish. We don't have to fish for months. This is fantastic. Jesus, let's go into business together. 50-50, man. We'll sign a non-compete agreement. It'll be awesome. We'll make so much money. You're amazing. I thought you were a carpenter, but apparently you're a fisherman. This is good. Not what Peter said. Not what Peter said. In fact, fish were the last thing from his mind in this moment. Do you know what Peter said? Luke tells us. It says he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord. New title. Master, it's now Lord. There's a progression here. Man, I respect you, Jesus. You healed my mom. That's awesome. Great sermon, pastor. Awesome. Master. But now he's Lord. Lord is a title of authority. Lord is a title of ownership. Lord is a title of supremacy. So he says, go away from me, Lord. And why would he say that? Well, Peter tells us. He goes on and he says, because, because I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. And friends, here is where Christian faith begins. Right? This is where true, the journey of Christian faith really begins. When you begin to recognize Jesus for who He truly is and who you truly are in relationship to Him, did Jesus change? Is that the reason why, why, why Peter changed his title? Was like somehow Peter a different person? I mean, Jesus a different person from the moment He asked him to get in the boat to this moment where the whole of fish come up. No, but in some sense He did change. He changed in the, in the way Peter saw Him. First, He was Master, someone I respect, good teacher. Now you're Lord. And his response is, get away from me. Get away from me, because I am a sinful man. Right? I mean Peter recognizes in this moment, man. I might be in the same boat as this guy, but I'm nothing like this guy. You know, here's a man who who teaches it with authority, with power, who's able to heal. And deal with sickness, physical sickness. But not only that, control nature because no one is supposed to catch fish in the middle of the day, let alone two boatloads of fish. Get away from me, Lord, because you're obviously from God. There's something different about you. I don't fully understand what it is, but you're different and I'm nothing like you, so get away from me. Now, that's a weird response if you think about it as Christians, right? Because we we draw close to God. But in that day and age... Peter's response was very understandable because he had grown up with the Mosaic Lord. He understood that, that God separates himself from sin. That's what the Lord teaches us, that you cannot have intimacy with God while, while there's still sin and, and, and just junk in your life. God is holy and you're not. God is good and you're not. And there's a separation that sin creates. That was the purpose of the Mosaic law. Peter had grown up in that mindset. And so now he knows that Jesus is not just a man, but he is God. And he's like, man, I am not. Get away from me. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. And what Peter didn't understand in this moment, that he would begin to articulate the rallying point for this new movement that Jesus was beginning. This new move that God was doing in the earth. This is where Christian faith begins, the recognizing of who Jesus is and who we truly are. He is God and we're not. I am sinful and he is not. So he says, get away from me. And so Luke goes on to tell the story. He says, all of his companions were astonished at the catch for they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And so then Jesus says something, right? As as Peter is just like overwhelmed, he's like, get away from me, God. I I just can't do this. Jesus says something to Peter that he would have to repeat over and over again to his disciples. He says to Peter, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter, I understand why you think we need to be apart. because all your life you've been taught through the Mosaic law that God's sin separates God from man. But God is doing something new. God is doing something new. I am that new thing. So don't be afraid. God is for you. And this is back to our our main point. This is what the gospel teaches us. That your sin does not disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, your sin is a prerequisite. It's the beginning of that journey. And so here Peter begins to truly follow Jesus. Step by step, as he took steps of faith, his steps would intersect with the faithfulness and the character of God. And over time, he began to so fully trust in the person of Jesus that he willingly laid down his life in service of his friend, his friend who would become his Lord and ultimately his Savior. And so, I can only imagine like, all right, so you're hearing the story and you're going like, okay, we are fine. I get it. I now understand now why Peter followed. Right? Matthew said he followed immediately, knowing the backstory Makes sense, right? Step by step. Peter saw, he heard, and based on that evidence was willing to take the next step, and then the next step, and then the next step, because that's what the Christian journey is about. It steps based on faith and evidence in the person and the character of God. And so you're thinking, you hear the story and you go like, yeah, well, if God did that for me, if Jesus did that for me, if Jesus kind of healed my mother-in-law, because please Jesus healed my mother-in-law, uh, if, if, if Jesus would show up and give me two boatloads of fish and give me all this, this resource, I would follow him too. Right? And I think if Peter were to hear us say that, he would go like, seriously? Seriously? Because what Jesus did for me, that was a fish trick. Like, that was nothing. Do you know what Jesus did for you? In fact, Peter would say to us, I wrote you two letters. Two letters. You guys probably haven't read them. I I know. I know we are. You probably haven't read them. But I wrote you two letters explaining what Jesus is. Let me me read to you from my letter what Jesus has done for you. And so I I believe Peter would probably, you know, pull out his little scroll and he would be like, okay, let, let me tell you. Here's what he did. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats he's like guys I was there right I was there I was an eyewitness to this I saw this this is evidence this is like I saw this with my own eyes when they arrested him in the garden I was there when Judas betrayed him with a kiss I was there and I was so terrified that I would get arrested that I would suffer the same fate as Jesus that I fled I hid I ran I I hid away and then I followed from a distance and I followed them. I saw where they took him. They took him to Caiaphas. They were high priest at the time. They took him into, into the Caiaphas' house. And there they beat him and interrogated him. And while I was there in the courtyard lurking in the shadows, just to be too afraid to even say anything. A young girl came up to me and asked me, Don't you know him? Don't you know this Jesus? And I denied him. Flat out. I'm like, I don't know the man. And I didn't just do it once. I didn't just do it twice. I did it three times. I was terrified. I hit the unfollow button. And then they handed him over to the Romans. Do you know what the Romans did to him? If you think what the Jewish leaders did to him, that was nothing. The Romans beat him so badly, it was ridiculous. And then they crucified him. And Peter would say to us, have you ever seen a crucifixion? And we would say, no, but Pastor Sean, he told us about those before. We've sat in his one of these like, Easter services, the Good Friday, we've been through those. We don't want to hear about it anymore. And Peter's like, yeah, I get it because it's terrifying, and believe me, when you've been crucified, there's no one who does not retaliate, no one who does not curse God and curse the day that they, they were born, but he did not retaliate, he offered no threats. Instead, Peter would say, instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God, the innocent one who suffered the most unjust punishment, did not retaliate. Why? Because he understood that God had purpose in it. And Peter would go on to say, man, we didn't understand it then. It took us a while to connect the dots. In fact, we were unbelieving. We were scratching our heads. We didn't understand. We had questions. But later, later we understood that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, so that the one thing that separates us from a relationship with our heavenly father would be taken care of, that we would die to sin and instead be made alive in righteousness, that we would now be free to live and to love and to experience the life that God has created us to live because sin is no longer an issue. Jesus bore it in his body. That's what he has done for you. And if you think what he did for me, was a reason to follow, that was nothing. That was a fish trick. Peter would go on to say, by his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you have been physically, spiritually, emotionally healed. You have been restored to right relationship with your heavenly Father. Do you know what he's done for you? Man, when he gave me two boatloads of fish, my only reasonable response was to follow. How much more then for you, knowing what he has done, how much more for you? So if Peter was here, I think he would, would, you know, ask us, you know, what's your next step? You know, and, and it's different for all of us, right? You know, the Christian faith, it's based on evidence. It's based on what we hear and what we see. God is not asking you to step blindly, but he's asking you to follow based on what you know. And all of us know different things about Jesus. But based on the information you have, what is your next step? For some of you, it might just be like, Jesus is saying, hey, can I just get in your boat? I know you've been trying to do this life apart from me. Can we just spend some time together? Can I show you some things? Can I, can I help lead you into some ways in a different way of approaching life? A different way of thinking that might produce better things than you currently are experiencing? Maybe for some of you, he's asking, man, come. You've been doing this. I've been sitting in your boat for like 10 years now. And we're still in shallow water, man. And I've been asking you, can we go out deeper? And you've been like, yeah, no, it's just too uncomfortable. It's just too too inconvenient. I'm not willing to pay the price. And he's going like, man, can we just go out a little deeper? For some of you, it might be a relationship, man. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord, and the Lord's been kind of just saying, man, I need you to bring resolution to this relationship. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a sibling. You know, and the relationship's been hard and it's, and it's keeping you stuck. And he's like, man, I want you to reach out. And yeah, I realize it's not all your fault. Maybe it's not just all on you. But part of it's on you. So take ownership of your part. Reach out. Tr- begin to restore that relationship so we can go deeper because it's keeping you stuck. You know, maybe, maybe it's about a behavior, something in your life that you're doing. Yeah, you believe in Jesus, but you're kind of dabbling in some stuff and you go like, man, it's fun, but it's not God's best for you. And he's like, man, I, I have something so much better. Can we go out deeper? I mean, I don't know what it is for you, but I guarantee every single one of us in this room, we have a next step. There's something that Jesus is calling us to more. So what's your next step, right? And here's what what I, I would just encourage you, if we learn anything from Peter's story, is that you have no idea what hangs in the balance. Like, you don't know what legacy, what future, what relationships God has in store for you. If you're just willing to take the next step and say yes. You don't know who hangs in the balance. The people your life will impact. The generations your life might impact. Peter had no idea and neither do we. But I guarantee you, this is the truth about your God is that when you take that faithful next step, it intersects with his faithfulness and his character and things change. Things change. All right, I'm going to leave you with that. All right, sit with that. Live in that for this week and uh, we'll come back and we'll continue on in this journey with Jesus next week. I want to pray for you. I'm um, going to invite tying the team up, and uh, they'll close us out in a chorus of worship. So if you would, just bow your hearts with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. And again, I, I don't know where all my friends and, um, are here today. Some are strangers to me. I don't know everyone here. But I know that there's no coincidence that you, we are here today. For some, maybe this is a, this is a first step, just showing up just allowing you some room in their lives. And I know that because of the fact that they are here today, your faithfulness is going to intersect with that decision and you'll you'll reveal your character and my hope is that we'll learn to trust you with the next one. For some of us, Lord, we've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. And honestly, our Christian life, it's saying, you know, there's no sin in our lives, we believe all the right things, but it's just boring. We're just kind of cruising and you've been compelling us and prompting us to go deeper, and we always have excuses, we have reasons why not, I would pray you would give us the courage to take a next step with you, to go deeper. And wherever we are in this journey, whether it's releasing something, maybe making a step to reconcile a relationship, I know that, that we have no idea what hangs in the balance and how lives can be changed and how our future of not only our futures, but the futures of the others around us can be changed. You are good, and you have such a great plan for each and every one of us. I pray that we would have the courage to trust you with it and take that next step. So do a work in us, Lord Jesus, as only you can do. lead us by your spirit, ultimately for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.